You're listening to Modded. Today's episode, we have Nigel Archibald, who is from parts unknown, apparently, because no one really knows where Dominica is. So why don't you explain to us where exactly it is? Well, I'm from uh, Dominica, smack dab in the middle of the Caribbean. Everybody think it's the Dominican Republic, but in my country, we don't speak Spanish. We actually speak English as our first language and broken French as the second language, or as most people know it as Creole. How did you end up? Uh, I guess you started in New York, right? You immigrated from Dominica over to New York? Yes, I, I moved to New York City when uh, I was about 15. So, so a while ago. What brought on the move? Uh, my mom lived there, so I moved to stay with my mom. And I lived in New York for over 18 years before I relocated to Houston, Texas. Now you had a lot of history over in New York. Like you didn't always have the car that you have now. What did you start off with? I started off with a 1998 Honda Civic Coupe. That was my first build uh, back in 2000. After reading like tons of Super Street magazines and a couple of TV shows, I got inspiration to build something really nice. So that's where it started. And my current car now that most people know, the Aristo, that's actually my fourth build. How did you start like uh, getting into cars? Because was, did it start over in Dominica or was it? First in New York, where you had a feel. Well, I think it started when when I was born. It it was in my blood. I mean, literally, from the time I remember myself being able to pick up a crayon to draw, I started trying to draw cars. And all through grade school, high school, I used to draw cars. You know, for fun, people would ask me to draw them cars. And I stopped drawing years ago, but that's, that's all where it started. Was there anything going on in Dominica that was like somewhat of a car scene or anything that uh, was similar to what you experienced over in New York? Well, the car scene down there is it's nothing like in the U.S. because the roads are totally different. You know, back in Dominica, we don't have a lot of straight line roads. It's a lot of curves and hills. So <clears throat> the cars that are set up, you know, to go fast, they're set up to go fast in turns. And I'm talking about Evos and Subarus, a lot of uh, Foresters, STIs. Um, there are a handful of Supers and RX-7s, but again, the all-wheel drive rule the streets down there because there's just not a lot of room to go straight. What did you do to that Honda when you first started? Um, back then, it was like a lot of what you saw in the magazines, lowering springs, uh, Koenig wheels, which were big at the time, uh, Wings West body kit, <clears throat> you know, basically whatever you could buy from the magazines, that's what I had on the car, you know, until I decided I was tired of being just like the others, the other guys, and I wanted to do something differently. So I kind of like try to take it to the next level with a B18 uh, swap, turbo swap. 
but before that was done, the tr the car, somebody attempted to steal the car, so I, I just got rid of it because I didn't want to deal with anybody trying to break in again after dumping money into the car, so I just sold it to a little 16-year-old kid. Did they try to steal it from your, like, front of your... From helmet? in front of my house, yeah. The, the one night that I decided I was going to leave it outside, somebody actually broke it. They actually got into the car, but they got caught in the act by the cops. So I was lucky that, you know, no damage was done. Nothing was stolen, but I just didn't want to take the chance of putting any more money into it. And then somebody, you know, wanted it more than I did. So Did any of your friends ever get their stuff taken? Oh yeah, you know back back then, in the early two thousands, late nineties, early two thousands, you know Hondas Hondas they were the thing to to steal, you know, and I I knew people that were into that, you know, I never got into it because I'm a law abiding citizen. Chop shop shops. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I I had I I did have friends that would just steal Accords, especially. You know, just for fun. They didn't even want parts. They just took it because they could. They would joyride in it for a few days and then just junk it. So then what did you, um, what did you end up doing after the Honda? Well, once, once the Civic got sold, like, I mean, literally the next day I was down in Miami, just visiting with my family and uh, me and my brother-in-law, we ended up taking a drive out to the Mitsubishi uh, dealership because the Evo had just came out. and long, which, uh, which model Evo? The Evo 8. Yeah. You know, and uh, long story short, it was the sales guy who actually wanted a test drive because he couldn't drive stick. So he offered, you know, he offered us a test drive just so he could, you know, feel what the hype was about the car. And, you know, I, I drove that thing like I stole it and I fell in love right then and there. And I figured, yeah, I had to have me one of those. Well, I heard that you did not wait for the breaking period after you bought it. I did not. I, uh, it was what, a, f a few, couple months later, I went back to New York and I made up my mind that I wanted an Evo. And I, you know, long story short, I got one and I picked it up from the dealership and jumped straight on the highway. And I said, it's going to be broken in before I get home. And I did 130 miles an hour on the way back to my house. What did you start doing as soon as you got that email? Well, after about a week, the stock suspension was out because uh, my significant other at the time, she hated the rough ride, but I didn't really care about that. <clears throat> but coilovers were the first mod, like, I mean, literally a week after I had the car. How did you, well... I've always heard that New York roads are some of the worst in, and I've and I've been in New York, been in the taxis, and it takes a special kind of driver to go around there because there's some of the roads are like not cobblestone, but they're like brick roads or whatever, and just like torn up real bad. Yeah, well, New York, New York has some of the worst roads in the country. Period. I mean, there's construction everywhere, and construction never ends. Like never ever ends. I've seen brand new roads get laid down and literally get dug up the next week for whatever reason like it doesn't make a lot of sense but yeah the roads are terrible especially in manhattan you don't want to you know you see a lot of pictures of times square guys taking their cars down there for for pictures but you really don't want to drive your show car around manhattan like it will get torn up by the streets 
and I heard that they're getting into a lot of trouble because there was like a Subaru documentary that just came out, and even in that documentary, the guys got ticketed because they were filming in Times Square, and I know that it, it was done before, like two years ago for Seventh Day um, in New York, but it's gotten pretty strict out here. Yeah, it's, it's extremely strict right now because the, the young kids nowadays, they, they don't know how to act. You know, especially everybody's seen the video of the Mercedes driver that ran over the cop. And then I think that just put it over the edge. Like they're taking no chances with anybody. You know, even if you go cruising, you're going to get stopped and ticketed for absolutely doing nothing because they just don't want the cars around. Why do you think it's changing that people are more focused on getting a viral video out there? Well, it's, it's all... We could blame social media, you know, everything that the kids do nowadays, they do it for likes, you know, they, they want to go viral, everybody want to go viral, and everybody wants followers. That's, that's what the car scene is right now, you know. Most people do it for the Insta fame, which I, I don't really understand. I, you know, I grew up just, you building a car for the joy of it. You build it, you enjoy it. And it's just a bonus if somebody else likes it, you know? Is that how it was in New York when you were first starting? Oh, yeah. Yeah, when I first started out, everybody built, you know, what they wanted to build. And <clears throat> even when I moved on from the Honda into the Evo world, you know, it was all about drag racing back then. You know, we built our cars to go fast. And everybody wanted to go fast. You know, we had a little Evo crew in, in the Bronx and we had some of the fastest cars in all of New York. We would go racing like almost every weekend. How much could you push out, you think, out of that stock block and the Evo? Oh, and the stock motor, I made 555. Um, the car was tuned by Sean Ivey before his car, uh, before he turned his Evo into a, into a race car. I made one more horsepower than he did. Um, and I drove the car like that for two years. Daily driven, over 500 horsepower before I blew it up at the track. And then we went crazy with it. And then what did you end up making? Uh, over 700 with a built motor. And unfortunately, we blew it up again before we finished tuning because, you know, Happy feet on the streets with a half-tuned car is not a good idea. So then what became of the Evo? I sold it, long story short, you know. Just put in way too much money into it, and at the time I was starting a family, so I had to grow up and, you know, be responsible, and the Evo was not the responsible thing to do at the time. So unfortunately, I had to get rid of it. You know, put family first and just be a grown-up. So there was one more car then after the Evo before you got the Aristo. Yes, I was in the market for a family car. And I had no idea what I wanted. I just know, like, I wanted something fast, but obviously there was nothing out there really. Until one night, my, my brother, he sent me a picture of... Uh, the Sessions Aristo, that was back in 2009. He sent me a picture of that car. At the time it was black on uh, Volk wheels and 
I fell in love. I was like, you know what, this could work. It's, it's big enough, you know, to be a, considered a family sedan, but it could be fast. So that's when I decided that I, I'm going to build myself an Aristo. And Sessions being a company out of Japan, right? Out of Japan, yeah. They have like one of the nicest, nicest Aristos in the world. I love that car. So what did you buy before the Aristo? What did you end up buying? Well, I ended up searching and finding a black GS because my inspiration was based upon the picture that my brother sent me. And I wanted nothing but a black GS. So I searched literally nationwide for a clean black GS, second gen GS. Um, ended up finding one down in Virginia. And I picked it up and drove it back to, uh, to New York. And I kept it. It was mostly stock for the first year that I had it, um, with the exception of some twin turbo Supra wheels and some uh, sound system and, you know, coilovers. It was, it was mainly stock. And then I just couldn't go another year without boost. I was missing that adrenaline rush from the Evo. So it started getting pretty serious with the GS. So then what did you start putting into the motor? Well, <clears throat> my idea was to do the whole GTE swap, you know, because I wanted it to look like an Aristo. But my mechanic at the time, he convinced me that it would be wasting money doing the swap when we could just boost the NA motor and make the same amount of power. And at the time, making power was the goal. It wasn't what motor you have, it's just how much power you can make. So we ended up do doing an NAT project, single turbo, and I got a lot of help from uh, <clears throat> SRT, Swift Racing out in, uh, I think they're in Maryland. Um, they provided me with the turbo setup, manifold, downpipe, and uh, ECU that they use on their customers' cars. And uh, one of my buddies back in New York helped me with the fabrication, with everything else, the exhaust, intercooler, and all of that good stuff. Can you explain, because there's, uh, for people that aren't as familiar with the 2J platform, the difference between the motor designations? Because you got your standard 2J, 2JZ, and then you have your GT, GT. Like, what are the differences between yeah, them? The, the motors, they're pretty similar. The, the main difference be uh between the two would be that the turbo motor it has uh the oil squirters is for basically for more cooling because of the the turbos but if you tear down the blocks they're pretty much the same uh the heads are very very similar in design um the main difference being that the na motor has the intake coming over from uh it's over the, the head instead of just like what we call a front-facing manifold on the, on the GTE, on the turbo motor. But if you tear them down, they're pretty much the same. Internals are very, very similar. And um, <clears throat> most of the gaskets, everything you order for, they, you, they could mix and match. So then you started building the NA motor. And how much power are you getting out of it? The, the GS we made... 376 to the wheels on 12 PSI. 
that was no boost controller, that was just off the wastegate. Um, unfortunately, the piggyback that I was using, it was kind of old school where it couldn't control the timing. So we couldn't turn up the boost, but with almost 400 horsepower in that car, it was so much fun to drive and nobody expected it, you know. Got a few good races out of it. That's one thing I wanted to talk to you about because you, ha you had a high horsepower Evo, you're running in with the crew of high horsepower Evos, and now you've got that GS. Well, what was your experience um, as far as the cops? Like, what was it like over there? Because I heard there's some stories behind you and like dealing with the NYPD and law enforcement over there. Well, the experiences, they're literally night and day um, between driving a modded Evo, which you could hear coming from about two miles away to what the average person would consider a, a grown-up car driving a Lexus around, which is not so loud. It's, it's, it's fast, but not as fast. And the cops would, it was literally harassment when it comes to the evil. You get exhaust tickets and tin tickets, especially at the end of the month when, when I, I stopped driving the car because I was just t tired of getting tickets all the time. Whereas driving a Lexus, I would be speeding past the cops and they wouldn't even blink an eye because they would look at it like, you know, maybe it's just some old guy with a happy fit, happy feet, you know. So it, it was totally different. Did you ever have any, any run-ins besides tickets with them? Or were you caught speeding? Just, just one. One, uh, I want to call him a little, he, he was stupid. Maybe a rookie, I don't know. But, you know, he wanted to be a tough guy and gave me a hard time about having yellow fog lights in the Lexus. And, you know, I just thought it was kind of ridiculous. You know, he didn't really handle the situation properly and I didn't appreciate his tone of voice. Um, long story short, he ended up writing me a ticket. Um, I went to court to fight the ticket. He didn't show up, but I did file a complaint against him because... Uh, I looked at it as, you know, abuse of power, you know, and that was that was the only running that I had with NYPD with the Lexus. Everything else was was pretty smooth sailing. So then what happened with the Lexus before uh, before you got the Aristo? Well, I had the Lexus for a little over three years. Um, I had big plans for it. Um, like I said, we had already done the single turbo and you know my plan was to go all out with the standalone and everything but then uh one night just browsing at the time the club lexus forums which was really uh popular back then before facebook took over and i saw that uh somebody had posted a real jdm aristo second gen aristo up for sale and it was already here in the u.s in uh, philadelphia actually and I couldn't believe that. I, I didn't know that we had one stateside and I made up my mind that I wanted that car. And it just so happened that at the very same time, somebody else was looking for a turbo Lexus to buy. So we ended up working out a deal a few weeks later where uh, the guy bought my, uh, bought my car and I was ready to to buy this Aristo, but my buddy Steve, Steve Wynn, 
uh, he ended up beating me to the car literally by a few hours. He had bought the car and uh, people know the car now. It's, uh, it's a white uh, Aristo with a crazy uh, JDM conversion. I think it's a Majesto or something uh, with a crazy front end conversion. That car is down in North Carolina right now. So yeah, Steve owns my car. I still call it my car because that's the one that I wanted. And then, uh, so what happened? How did you get the one that you have now? Well, I spoke to uh, to the guy, Alex, who sold the car. And uh, he's a JDM importer. But at the time, it was only like, it was only him and maybe a handful of other people doing this importing. Not like, you know, every mom and pop doing it right now. Yeah, but that mom and pop sort of business is is getting out of hand yeah. right now. Yeah. We were seeing the articles fly around the internet. But um, yeah, I spoke to Alex that morning after he broke the news that he had just sold the car that I wanted. And he promised me that he could get me another one, a nicer one. And he came through uh, about six months later. I was actually visiting here in Houston, 4th of July weekend when he sent me a text, a selfie with him and the car in the background. And I was just like so excited. I wanted to leave Houston right away to fly back to New York just so I could get my car. So I heard that you had um, a negative experience with another importer as well, that you were trying to get another car and that didn't turn out so well. Um, yeah, that, that goes all the way back to even before having the Evo. Um, and it was actually a buddy of mine as a guy that I knew very well. Um, I knew he had the, the, the potential to bring me the car that I wanted back then. Like I really wanted an S 14 Sylvia out of Japan and he promised me that he could get me the car and I paid for the car like all out not even a deposit. I gave him all the money for the car and I never received the car after waiting an entire year for that car. I decided I was just going to move on. And that's when I got into the Evo. And when it ended up becoming it, did you hear from him or? Um, yeah, I, I heard from him cause I knew him. I knew where he lived, you know, and he ended up paying me back. It took a total of about two years to get all of my money back, but in the end, I, I did get all of my money back, but it was just like something that I didn't expect from a friend. But apparently he did that to everybody, friends, family members and strangers. So I, I was nobody special to him. I was just another st statistic. That seems unfortunate, too, because even though I haven't been modifying cars anywhere near as long as you have, it seems like if you're in if you're doing this long enough. You're going to get ripped off by yeah, something. Parts, I've, cars, whatever. I've had a, a few bad experiences, but the whole name of the game is you, you learn. You learn from your mistakes, you know. And even when I, when I first moved down here from New York, you know, it took me a while to really trust somebody, you know, with my car. Um, my car is in the shop right now. I've been here a little over three years and it, it has taken me that long to entrust somebody that I know I'm going to get my money's worth and I'm going to be satisfied at the end of the day. And, you know, I've spoke to tons and tons of people and 
anytime that one of my friends introduced me to somebody else, I want to see, you know, what they've done. I want to hear, I, I want to hear the good and the bad, you know, and decide whether or not I would trust them with, with my car and my money for that matter of fact. I had a, yeah, cause I know that you've done a lot of the work on the Arista that you have right now yourself. And I had seen pictures of you like working on the headlights cause the headlights weren't in the best condition when you had them originally oh, retrofitted. Yeah. So, but it's, it's, it's an interesting thing to know that like you, it takes a while to find people that you trust, not just close friends, but the shop is one of the hardest things to find because you know, like you're leaving it in their hands. You don't know what's going on and it's a significant amount of money. And you just hope that you're gonna get your money's worth. And it doesn't seem it doesn't seem so hard for someone for you to tell someone just like, hey, here's the money. I want you to go ahead and do the best job. Give me the results that you're promising. But a lot of times you're not getting that, especially in car modifying. Oh yeah. Whether it's engine work or body work, anything. And especially if you pay up front. Like I always tell people, that's the worst mistake you could ever make, is to pay for a job up front. You never give people the money because once they have the money, they don't really care about, you know, providing you with that service because they already paid. But if you have a car sitting at their shop taking up space, then they want it gone, you know, and they want to get paid. So they're going to work, do the work and, and give you that service <clears throat> so that they could get their money. But I, I never pay anybody up front for a service and... You know, the time that I've been here, I've, I've been lucky enough to have David and Sonny help me out a great deal. Like, I mean, I, I trust these guys. I, I, will, I won't hesitate to throw them my keys. David has had my car at his house and Sonny has had my car at his house. You know, these, these are guys that I really, really trust. <clears throat> That's another lesson learned, too. Is like there are shops that will not give you a quote up front for work. And I know people that, regardless, will entrust their, their car with them and it'll end up being a matter of just like, okay, here's the next thousand for you to go ahead and do whatever work. Here's the next thousand, the next thousand. Yeah. And, and that is... And shops like that, I quickly turn away from. Yeah. Like, if you can't tell me how much the work is going to be, then I'm going home. It's got to talk. It, like, it says something about legitimacy. You know what I mean? You, you should be doing this long enough to be aware of how much anything like this is going to cost, but they don't seem to be that way. Exactly. That, I, I, I believe that's just shops that's willing to take as much money out of any customer as they possibly can. You know, I don't want to call them ripoffs, but people like that, I don't do business with. Like I deal with numbers and letters. But I guess it's one of the things that for people who are new and are listening, uh, PayPal is probably like rule number one, use PayPal and always pay for a service and not just do the friends and family, get a quote, like more so than anything. Cause you don't know how much it's going to run you. What else would you say is like a must have when you're dealing with a shop? Well, first of all, you have to know exactly what you want done. And it's, it's funny that you would bring it up because I had an experience with a, with a shop here in Houston where. You know, I just, I, I wanted a quote for some work that I needed to get done. And, you know, the guy, he kept asking me what my budget was. And, you know, repeatedly kept asking, what's the budget? What's the budget? And I'm like, it doesn't matter what the budget is. I want to know how much the work is going to cost. 
to get done. And he refused to give me a price. He kept asking me what my budget was. So I just walked away. That, that kind of got me mad. But it's just a shame that, you know, if you could provide a service, then on the spot, you should be able to provide a price for that service and not try to find out how much your customer is willing to spend. You know, you give your customer a price and then you right there will let you know whether or not the customer is willing to pay that money for your service. But you don't try to squeeze extra money out of people without even talking to them first. Like, I just don't get it. And I think uh, quality too, not just the cost, like, okay, you get the quote, you pay for the service you ask, making sure that you're getting what you paid for. And I, I bring that up because I remember uh, I met someone, he was getting a bumper repainted on his Evo by a shop here. And at the end of it, he ended up spending, spending um, $800 or so, which is like a pretty significant amount of money for a front bumper repainting. But it's like, it's standard if you want a high quality job. He gets it back and there's still bubbles in the paint. There's dust and contamination and orange peel. And the shop uh, goes back, tells him, well, you know, you can't expect it to be all perfect. You know what I mean? And it's ridiculous because like you pay you paid eight hundred dollars for that bumper to be perfect. Like I'm expecting high high quality, but their excuse is well, it's it's not always going to be perfect. Exactly, and and a place like that, I would I would never do business with. You know, it's unfortunate. You know, there there are shops that they just figure that mediocre is okay, but you know, like yourself and. David, we, you know, you, you, you go on the car, the car show circuit and judges expect nothing but perfection, you know, and when you have a shop telling you that it can't be perfect, that's not shops you want to deal with, you know, and, and body shops in a whole, you know, that's like a whole different subject. Like we could talk about body shops all day. And again, their number one job is to make money. You know, they want cars in and out and to make as much profit as possible using cheap parts or, you know, probably used parts instead of going to the deal and getting original, uh, original parts. So body shops can be really, really, really sketchy. And, you know, to find somebody you trust, again, it takes a whole lot of research, you know, a lot of questions. You ask your friends, ask people that have work done by, you know, various shops, what they think you know, were they satisfied, you know, and you decide whether or not you want to deal with that shop. But when you speak to a, an owner and they tell you that, oh, it's not going to be perfect or don't expect it to be perfect, then that's obviously one place you don't want to deal with. Yeah, definitely. So going back to the car show circuit, I remember hearing that you rolled in with, uh, or you and David and some of the guys started Team Nobody. I've explained that. How did that come about? Well, technically, we didn't start it. It just it kind of started up. It's, it's, it's like the I call it the, the longest running joke ever because it, it was just a joke. You know, um, uh, back in 2015, when I moved here, uh, my buddy, uh, Rude Boy, everybody knows Rude Boy. He kind of convinced me to do a Stance Nation, Texas. And at the time, I... I I didn't plan on doing the show. Um, I didn't consider my car to be a show car. My car was just it's a driver. You know, I, I showed it a couple of times before, but 
I never really considered my car to be a show car. So I had no interest of showing it at Stan's Nation. And uh, he convinced me to show it, you know, he's like, yeah, don't just do it. You know, you'll, you'll win. I was like, I, first of all, I don't care about winning. You know, that's, that's not important to me, but I went home. I thought about it for a couple of days and I said, you know, I, I might as well, I have nothing to lose. So, uh, we ended up showing at Stance Nation, Texas back in uh, 2015 uh, with Sonny and David, you know, and I ended up winning Best Toyota that year and Sonny got an award for Best Lexus. And, you know, it just, it came as a huge surprise to all of us. Like, you know, it just, where nobody's winning all, uh, all these awards. And that's where the, the whole nobody thing came about. Like, you know, everybody's like, who are these guys? And they're like, we're nobody, you know, and somebody mentioned something about team nobody and uh, somebody made a, a sticker the following week and then the Instagram page popped up and all of a sudden we're a team. Somebody called it a team, but it was it was actually a joke. But do you still, I guess, roll together with your team then, your quote unquote team? Oh, yeah. Oh yeah, we're we're tight as ever, you know, and we usually get together to go eat. You know, we haven't we haven't showed together in a while because somebody's car is always you know out of commission. David was out for a while getting his body work done. Um, my car, I, t- I took a break from the the car show scene, and at the end of twenty sixteen, you know, just to focus on other aspects of my life. So I've I have I've been out for a while. I'm. I'm gonna make a return soon though hopefully hopefully by the end of 2018 we'll be back up and running i hope so too because there's a lot of there's a lot of trash being talked on facebook oh yeah people are gonna get exposed we talk trash all the time man but it's all friendly competition it's it's no bad blood you know so you're in houston now i guess what what drove you to come to houston well the car scene was was uh like my number one uh influence if you want to call it that because living in new york we came down for tx2k a couple of times uh, back in 2014 and 2015 me and a few of my buddies from new york would come down to houston and i'm like man if if that's what life is like down here then i i see myself living here and uh yeah i moved like the next month after we came in 2015 uh, in April, I made the move from New York City down to Houston, Texas. How did you guys all meet when you came to Texas, Unity? Well, I moved down here with literally one friend. I only knew one person here. And um, I always knew about uh, Rice Box, Rice of Wednesdays, uh, back when it was real popular. I, I, you know, I saw the pictures on Instagram, so I knew about it when I moved here. And when my car finally got here from New York, which was uh, July of 2015, I figured I would take the car out to, to Rice on Wednesday and, you know, hopefully I would make a new friends. I, I would make some new friends. And that's the thing, like uh, with the Aristo, it draws so much attention, you know, you can't help but talk to strangers and, you know, talk about the car and, you know, all of us in, in, in the car community, that's that's what we do. Like, I I wouldn't know you 
off the street, but we could sit here and talk for an hour or two just because we have something in common. So that's how I ended up meeting uh, David and Sonny and most of my friends here in Houston is uh, I met them through either a car meet or a car show, you know, something car related. And I'm, I'm thankful for that. I'm, that's why I'm, I'm thankful for, for cars in general. Do you think that there's a real big difference between here and New York City or the car culture in New York? Um, there, there, is, there is a difference. Um, you have a wider variety of, of uh, groups down here in Houston. You have trucks and bikes, exotics, imports, uh, the muscle cars. And in New York, there's not much of a truck scene. There's actually no truck scene in New York. People don't really drive trucks a lot. Um, the exotics are now starting to take over in, in New York. You see a lot of Lambos and GTRs, uh, Ferraris, a lot, of, a lot of BMWs in New York. BMWs are very popular. All the M models, M4s, 5s, 6s, right now are very popular in New York. But down here, you get a lot more variety. The, the bike scene down here is much bigger than New York as well. So there's, there's something for everybody. And I, I knew that once I moved down here, I would fit in quite nicely. And I know uh, Houston, I think, is America's most diverse city. So speaking on just like the diversity, outside of the diversity of cars, like how has being in Houston been for you? Like coming from New York, which is known for being diverse and having a lot of Good cuisine. How is that for you? Oh, well, you, you can't beat the food in, in New York City. I'll tell you that much. It's, I, I miss the food, but down here, it's, it's so much more laid back, you know. Plus, we have nicer roads down here. You know, a lot of the Houstonians, they complain that the roads down here are terrible, but trust me, they've never been to New York City, so they won't appreciate what they have. Um, but... Yeah, I, I, I love it down here, and I, I don't see myself going back. I'll go back to visit. You know, I was back there last week, but not to live. I, I could not do it. Do you think that the community here, uh, especially the car community, is different? Would you say it's better or comparable to what it is in New York? Um, I'm not going to say it's better, but it's, it's definitely different. You know, um, down here you have a large Mexican culture Again, with the trucks and all of that, that's like, a, I guess, a, an influence on their side. In New York, you have more of a Dominican, Puerto Rican uh, following where, like, the loud music is their thing, you know. They want to they wanna let their music be heard from across New Jersey. And that, I, I, I could never get into it, but that's their thing, you know. I'm not knocking it, it's just not my style. But it's, it's definitely different. I'm not going to say which is better or worse, but it's, it's different. Well, I heard that you blast that music pretty loud from, uh, from Dominica whenever you're rolling through that Caribbean music. Well, there's, there's only one way to play Caribbean music, and that's loud. Yeah. <laughs> what is going to be uh, next for your car after you get your motor work done, which I know that you've got going on? Where do you see yourself going with it, or do you think that you're going to end up getting something else in the future? Well, I tried selling the car last year, 
um, for different reasons. Number one being I, I get bored very, very quickly. And I kind of felt like I was kind of tired, you know, a bit bored with the car. So I did put it up for sale. Um, unfortunately, it didn't sell. I had a lot of interest. You know, people would message me at two, three o'clock in the morning asking questions, but nobody decided to bite the bullet. So I figured, you know what, I'm keeping it. Um, we're just going to go over to version 3.0 right now. I think we're at like, right now we're at version 2.5. So 3.0 is coming real soon. I'm not, I'm not going to let a lot of secrets out of the bag because, you know, I know a lot of people have been asking, you know, what's going on and, you know, why am I rolling around on stock wheels, but just, just wait. What drives you to keep changing your car and keep doing what you're doing? Well, my, the wheels in my head are always turning. I always have different ideas, different visions, you know, and every time I have a vision, I want it to come to life. And I've had a certain vision in my head now for the last, uh, I want to say about six months, maybe more. And I'm about to bring it to reality. And I'm, I'm, I'm pretty excited. You know, I'm, I'm trying to be patient, you know, waiting, you know, you know how the waiting game is when you have to order parts from Japan and other parts of the world. You know, our buddy David over here, he just got a motor all the way from Australia. You know, so the waiting game is always part of it, but it'll be it'll be worth it in the end. In your opinion, do you think that uh, people modifying nowadays don't have the patience that someone who's been doing it for longer has? Well, I I don't think that the younger kids are patient with it. You know, and going back to my previous statement about you know doing everything for for likes and followers, you know. Everybody seemed to copy off of each other and is 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 a lot of a lack of originality in the car scene, you know. Everybody want over fenders and you know they they just wanna do what somebody else has done and they see this other guy do something and he got ten thousand likes, so they figure they might as well do it and try to get ten thousand likes as well. And I'm like that's 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 not how we do stuff, you know. You you want to be original, and I like being original. I I I want to be not necessarily the first to do something, but when I do it, I want to do it differently. When when you see my car, I want you to say, "Hey, I never thought of that. Well, I've never seen that before, but that was a good idea." You know, I I want I I I'm not gonna say I want people to copy off of me. But I want to be an inspiration to somebody else and not just do what everybody else and has already done. You know, that's boring. I think you bring up a, a good point about uh, being first doesn't really matter because there's an emphasis nowadays on being first. And to me, it's, that's kind of like a grade school mentality. And I sort of think back in the day of being in elementary school and rushing somewhere or like touching your desk whenever you go back in the classroom and what was the thing that you would say oh first that right. kind of thing yeah. right and every time someone puts something like that in my head it's it's a little bit immature and, and uh i don't want to like talk down on anybody but it doesn't really, i don't think first really matters because you're you're 
sure, even if you are the first, you're not going to be the last. Exactly. And you're not necessarily going to be the best to do it. So first is just, to me, it seems a little bit childish, especially because it makes it seem like you want to do something before anybody else to get the attention. Right. But um, I don't necessarily think that uh, what we're what we're doing now, or I, I agree with you that a lot of it is for attention and that we end up copying one another. Because someone, uh, someone once said to me, like especially in the Subaru community, that we all kind of end up doing the same thing. And I know I don't know if he mentioned it jokingly, but I keep thinking about that kind of thing. And, and I think it's like a driving factor as to why uh, why we want to change the things that we have to be unique, but at the same time balance it out with doing something for yourself. And that's tricky, right? Right. Do you think that there's any part of you that has ever done something because you've seen it, you just wanted to do it as well? I've, I've seen several mods that inspire me to, to do something that, you know, that I'm not going to say nobody else has done, but I don't, I don't want to copy what somebody else has already done. You know, I might take a few tips and, you know, switch it up a little bit, but to do an exact copy, I've seen people like copy cars. I mean, like down to the paint and graphics which is, to me, it's kind of ridiculous. Like, you might as well just go buy, you know, the dude's car if you're going to copy it like that, you know. But you could always make something different. You could change something, you know. There's, there's no reason why you would see somebody's build and try to build your car exactly like it, you know. Like, to me, it doesn't make sense. And it's, it's, it's a lack of originality. Now, you could use somebody's ideas to create some of your own, you know, and make it, make it your own. But I've, I've seen people literally copy somebody else, else's build. And, you know, there's people that will message you for your wheel specs because they want to order the exact same wheels you have, you know, and I, I don't get it. Like, why? What do you think? To kind of close it off, what do you think's been some of the biggest lessons that you've learned in building your car, building the several cars that you've had? Well, the number one, I, I think that's like the most important like lesson is do it right the first time. Don't take any shortcuts. Whatever it is, whether it's uh, the smallest thing from changing a light bulb to swapping out a motor just do it right the first time and you know a lot of people might look at it as you're throwing away money or you're wasting money um, but if you spend money on quality parts a lot of the time it's gonna prevent you from buying cheap parts twice you know because doing something twice is always gonna be more expensive than just doing it right the first time and I that's the one thing, like, anybody that I meet, I always tell them, you know, don't cheap out. If, if you want something, but you can't afford it, then just wait till you could afford it instead of going the cheap route and then having to do it again in a few months or a few days because you just threw away 
money that you're going to end up spending buying another one. Did you end up doing that before? Um, I think I did, you know, back in my early modding days. Like I said, we all live and learn. You, you, you make a mistake and you learn from it. Um, but now I, I'll never make that mistake again. Well, it's definitely good to hear. And I, <laughs> and I know it's a, it's a lesson that I've learned too, especially going with something used rather than going with something new. And I think it's something that all of us will have to keep in mind and value the, like being able to do something right the first time. Oh yeah, you you learn a lot buying used parts as well. You know, there are some shady people in the car community, unfortunately. And again, I've I've been there, been through that where you know somebody claims, oh, it's only a couple months old. You know, come to find out, it's more like two years old and it's no good. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, again, when it comes to buying used parts, I'm very very cautious about that. And you, you have to be very aware of the scammers. There's a lot of scammers out there. I see them in the Supra community and, you know, it, I'm sure they're in the Subaru community mm-hmm. as well. So just got to keep your eyes open. I guess it's, it's uh, one thing that uh, I appreciate people doing is telling, telling other people about their experience. So telling the younger generation the things that they've learned or even to be cautious of certain people. Not to say that you're gonna completely discredit someone, but just tell someone about your experiences, right? The same thing that you were saying with shops uh, or with any any guy that you're interacting, like this was my experience with them, you take it for what it is and potentially avoid making the same mistake that you did. I don't think that's that's something that I, I see a lot or I'd like to encourage it more because there's a lot of mistakes that I made that I wish someone would have told me about. And I'm, I think it's always a good idea to tell people about your mistakes because why have someone go through the same thing that you went through? You exactly. When, when you could help them avoid it before it even happens. Yeah, but I think uh, a little bit of that is because people want to keep things to themselves or make it seem like everything that they did went okay. You know, like the way that you got from point A to point B in your car was all smooth traveling. Everything was good. You didn't have any hiccups when in reality you had to deal with the scammer or you had to deal with bad used parts or you had to deal with spending money twice. Yeah. Well, we, we all know that our plans never go as planned. There's, there's always bumps in the road when you talk about a build, you know, whether it be a delay in parts or, you know, something just not going the way that you plan, uh, you know, something pops up in your personal life where you got to put your build on hold. It's, it's never smooth sailing when it comes to a build. And anybody that wants to believe that, you know, they're just going to build a car and it'll be all roses and flowers, you know, they should level down a little bit. Yeah, I think we'll keep that in mind. I appreciate you doing the interview with me. Thanks for sitting down. I think a lot of guys learn a lot from listening to you talk. Oh, yeah, man. I, I, I feel like a Z-list celebrity right now. I've, I've, <laughs> I've never been interviewed for anything except a job. You know, I'm just wondering if you guys are hiring. Oh, I'd definitely be hiring. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Get some of that 2J knowledge in here. But yeah, it was a, it was a pleasure. I'll yeah. definitely do it again if, if, if asked.